0: morning. You know, um, when I was a seminary professor, you know, the seminary environment provides for a lot of interesting and sometimes weird um, circumstances and opportunities. And one of the things that would happen is uh, sometimes some random person calls you out of the blue because they're looking for an answer. They're looking for some explanation. And I remember one day I was sitting in my office and the phone rang and this woman called about hell to talk to me about hell. And uh, she said, well, you know, Dr. Mitchell, uh, I, I just want to know, is, is, is hell all that bad? Cause, cause, you know, I can't really believe it's, it's really all that bad. I said, yeah, it is that bad. And, and she says, well, you know, I, I figure God's gotta be merciful and, 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 and it's, I said, yep, yeah, God is merciful, but hell is real and people are going there and you know somehow this woman had gotten in this idea in her mind that you you could go there for a time and then get out and try as i might i wasn't able to convince her of the truth of the, the situation that once you're there, it's fixed. There's no getting out. It's eternal. It's bad. It is, it's a place of torture. It's a place of falling. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of burning. And somehow, I couldn't convince her. This is just one of a number of things that made me talk to all my students about reminding people about eternity. I had one opportunity to preach in chapel when I was at Southwestern, and I was there for 12 years. So I preached on the subject of hell. And I asked people, how many of you had heard a sermon on hell In the last year. So you have thousands of students. Only a few had raised their hands. Now, I remember when I was growing up, you go to church and, man, let me tell you, it seemed like people were preaching about hell all the time. And I think one of the results was there was much more of a focus on the eternal. Not only much more of a focus on the eternal, but more of a focus on evangelism. You know, there is this uh, old thing that was uh, made up to describe some who were of... Uh, Overly reformed, overly hyper-Calvinist nature, it, it went like this. We are the Lord's chosen few, let all the rest be damned. There's room enough in hell for you, we won't have heaven crammed. And you know, that's almost the attitude of most people today. Because they aren't preaching the gospel, they're not out there giving the gospel to the lost. Hey, did somebody shut hell up? Did somebody close it down? Is it still real? I think it is. And if it is, then why aren't we sharing the gospel? So, you know, Pastor Bill asked me to preach on... Luke chapter 16. So let's go there. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 16. Let's go to verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to drop the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us. And you, so that you cannot, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those who from there cross over to us. Father, he said, I beg you, send them to my brother's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't come to this place of torment. But Abram said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, uh, I'm sorry, verse 30. No father, Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray that you would be with each person here. I, I pray that, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. I pray that, Lord, that you would also open our hearts so that we might be receptive to your word. And I pray that, Lord, that, that each person here would draw closer to you, would live their lives in such a way as to glorify your holy name. Lord, guide us. In Saint Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when you look at this section of scripture, one of the things that you have to understand is that this is one of six different parables that you find in the book of Luke. So let's take a quick look at what these are. And starting from chapter 14, verses 16 to 24, you have the parable of the, the large banquet. And and then the second one starts in Luke chapter 15 in verses 3 through 7 and it's the parable of the lost sheep the third one can be found in Luke chapter 15 verses 8 through 10 and it's the parable of the lost coin the fourth one is found in Luke chapter 15 11 verse 32 and it's the parable of the the prodigal son The fifth one starts in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, and it is the parable of the unrighteous steward. And this last one is of Lazarus and the rich man. And one of the things that all of these have to do with is salvation, about people's need for salvation, about our need to give the gospel to the lost. And about the hope of redemption. And one of the interesting things is when you look at chapter 16, you have these, these last two parables. And one of the things that's interesting about both of these parables is that they, they start off with the phrase, now there was a rich man. Okay. So let's take a look at chapter 16. Let's take a look at verse 1. Now he said to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. Now let's take a look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. Both of these are focused to the rich man. Well, what is a rich man? Well, back in those days, if you had more than one set of clothes, you were rich. In those days, if you were never hungry, you were rich. You know, that says a lot about our situation today. You know what, folks? We are in the wealthiest country the world has ever seen. I mean, even the poor people in this country, by the rest of the world's standards, are pretty well off. How many poor people have air conditioning, have refrigerators, have televisions, You know, the average person in this country is better off than many kings were throughout most of the world before the last, before the last century. It's, it's really incredible all that we have. In any case, Let's get back to, to Luke chapter 16. One of the things that you find is a central idea in Luke chapter 16 is this. It is trust in wealth versus wealth in trust. See, some people Count on what's in their bank account. And if that's where you are, you're in trouble. You can lose your wealth like that. No matter what you have, no matter how much you have, you can't depend on it. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But if on the other hand. You have trust in Jesus Christ. You truly have infinite wealth. He has. Everything. That you need, not only in this life, but the next. And because of that, folks, we need to make sure that he's the master that we're serving. We need to make sure that our focus is on the right things. Our focus is on the eternal rather than the temporal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn there real quickly with me if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to verse 17. For our momentary light affliction... Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory, so that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is what? Temporary. But what is unseen is what? Eternal. Eternal. Folks, the eternal is what our focus needs to be. Something else about um, Luke chapter 16. Um, James Edward, uh, he was a commentator on the, in the, the, the Luke um, pillar New Testament commentary. One of the things he says is this. He says that Luke 16 teaches... That wealth and possessions, like allegiances to masters, spouses, and the law, are given their rightful place in life and fulfill their purpose only when they're made subservient to the will of God. Folks, here's a question you need to ask yourself. Is everything in your life subservient to the will of God. Now I gotta admit, folks, if you're like me, you got some work to do. If you're like me, you need to do some refocusing. Because Jesus Christ doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of it. Now, let's go back to Luke chapter 16. So, you know, this this first parable that you see here, is about this unrighteous steward. And basically, he's about to lose his job because, well, he's a dishonest steward. He's wasting his master's resources. And so the master shows up and says, okay, this party's about to end. I'm removing you from your position. And this guy goes into panic mode. What do I do? So he he finds all of this master's debtors and then he starts making deals with them. And when all is said and done, the master looks at him and says, you know, you know, you're, you're pretty shrewd. I gotta hand it to you. So here's what the Lord has to say about all that. Let's go to verse nine. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it falls, when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. See, just like this dishonest steward, You and I have a clock running out on us. You know, one day, we're going to die. And we're going to have to give an account of all the resources the Lord has given us in this life. What are you doing with it? What he's saying here is that you need to start using that th- those things for him. You need to be investing all that into eternity. So, one of the next things you see here, let's go to chapter 14. Uh, no, I'm sorry, chapter 16. Let's go to verse 13. The Lord says this, No servant can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Folks, it's one or it's the other. And each one of us, needs to make up our minds who and what we're going to serve. Let's go to verse 14. Verse 14 says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. Now, you know, one of the things I always do when I get ready to... To preach out of something in the New Testament is I go to the Greek text and, you know, and I, I try to, you know, translate. And you know, the thing about Luke is, you know, Luke was a doctor. And one of the things that he does is he uses all these medical terms. He uses all these complex terms that you don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. And so it's really, it's really tough for me to make it through through, um, Luke. So, you know, the thing that I, I find is, you know, is, you know, I get stuck an awful lot, but one of the things that happens is I find these interesting words. You know, he says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, well, in, in the Greek, this word is philogouroi. would you like to be called a philoguroi? Here's one of the things that James James Edwards has to say about this. He says that if you are a philoguroi, you are spiritually insensitive. You have chosen the wrong master to serve. Let's take a look um, at Luke chapter 18. Mm -hmm. And let's go to verse 18. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, but honor your father and your mother. I have kept these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard us, he was extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now look, wealth is neither here nor there, but it's what you do with it. If you master wealth, that's one thing. But if it masters you, you're lost. And these Pharisees, in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, these Pharisees, these philoguroi, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. You know... Some guys, they think they got it all figured out. And when you tell them the truth, well, they just, they just ignore it. They scoff at it. Verse 15, and he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. Look, folks, you can fool me. I mean, I'm relatively easy to fool. And I might be able to fool you. But you know who you can't fool? You can't fool God who knows exactly what's in your heart and in mine. These guys, these Pharisees, they think that they're fooling everybody. And Jesus goes on to say, for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. Let me ask you this question. Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? Is your will in line with his will? Is your heart's desire in line with his? If it's not, then it's time to get it in line. And folks, one of the chief ways to do this is to spend time in God's Word and to spend time in prayer. And one of the things that he he does, he goes on to do is he. He says in verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John, and since then good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed and everyone is urgently invited to enter. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to drop out. Now you know, the Pharisees, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to have the Old Testament memorized to be a pharisee you not only had to have the whole old testament memorized but you had to to also know the commentaries on it to be a pharisee you had to fast at least twice a week to be a pharisee you had to you had to not only talk you had to give tw- you had to give twice that so these guys they thought that they were just like in like flint that they thought that their situation was perfect before God. Well, I'm here to tell you, they weren't. It was all about their works. It's all about their own righteousness. And it's not about what Jesus Christ had done for them. In fact, the next verse Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. See, one of the things you find with these guys was, you know, they interpreted the Old Testament in such a way that divorce was okay. And Jesus is letting them know in no uncertain terms, hey, You guys are interpreting this scripture wrong. You guys are in sin. Folks, we need to have a heart of repentance. So, to make sure that these guys understood what he was saying, he gives this next parable. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen Feasting lavishly every day. This guy had it all. And he partied every day. Verse 20. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. Now here's one of the interesting things. The name Lazarus is another form of the name Eleazar. And Eleazar means the one that God helps. In fact, this name Eleazar was the third most common name at this point in time. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. You know, he had probably been there for some time. And this rich guy knew he was there, but didn't do anything about it says in verse 21, he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. This is a pretty bad situation here. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. "Father Abraham," he called out, "Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame." Okay, a few things here. He is in hell." Does it sound like he's partying anymore? Does it sound like he's having any fun? But here's the other thing. Does it sound like he's repented? Here's one of the interesting things. He asked for Lazarus. He asked for Abraham Verse 24, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. He asked for Abraham to send Lazarus. Here's the funny thing. He's in hell. Lazarus is in heaven. He still thinks Lazarus is his servant. Not only does he think that Lazarus is his servant, what this also implies was the whole time that Lazarus was there by his gate, suffering in an agony, he knew full well who he was. And he didn't care. he's in agony he is in flame and you know there are some who would try to tell you you know they, they they are annihilationists they'll tell you well you know you go to hell and you know you you go you fade out of existence there that's not what we're seeing here He's suffering, and he knows he's going to be there. Verse 25. Son Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. You know, it's bad enough that he's in hell, but he can see those in heaven. He now knows what he's missing out on. And you know, folks, here's the thing about this life. No matter how good it is right now, it's only so good. No matter how wonderful you might think things are, it's all fleeting. It's all temporary. Temporary. There's always something better in his life. But folks, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything. Everything. Verse 27. Father, he said, I beg you to send me to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn so that they won't come to this place of torment. Once again, he still sees Lazarus as his servant. Still not penitent. But, He does have concern for his brothers, and that's good. But verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, you know, for a number of years, I was uh, a member of the Evangelical Philosophical Society. And, you know, one of the things that they they present papers, they have a, a journal called uh, Phil Christie, which is a pretty good journal but they spend a lot of their time in apologetics. And, you know, I I think apologetics can be a good and useful thing, but I think for too many of those guys, they confuse apologetics with evangelism. Now, you know, one of the things that that happens is, you know, these guys would spend all their time, developing these silver bullet arguments. And, you know, a lot of people who are big and apologetic, here's what they think. You know, they think, well, you know, I'll get my silver bullets, my perfect arguments, and then I'll put them in my apologetic gun. And when the opportunity comes, and I'm in a debate with some atheist, what I'll do is I'll pull out my apologetic gun, And then I'll aim dead center mass, I'll pull the trigger, and they'll be hit by my apologetic bullet, and they'll think, gee, I've never had that thought before. I guess now I'll have to become a Christian. Does anybody believe it works that way? Anybody? Here's one of the things you find when you look at the book of the Revelation. God's judgments fall upon the earth time after time after time, and what happens is this. Everybody knows what's happening, everybody knows why it's happening, and you know what they don't do? Repent. So it's not about the force of argument that convinces anybody of the truth of the gospel. You know it does? It's the love of Christ. It's the power of his word that transforms hearts and minds and brings someone from death to life. Let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 24. And let's look at verse forty four. And he and he told them, he being Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms must be fulfilled. then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, This is what is written, The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, in verse 44, what you see here is this. The law and the prophets... Speak about what? Speak about who? Jesus. If you read his word with an open mind and an open heart, you'll see the truth. Folks, we are without excuse. Especially in this country. We got Bibles everywhere. But people still need to hear. You know something? God has put you in your workplace to be a witness to those who don't know Jesus. Over 90% of people who are won to Christ and who are active in a church a year later are won by a family member or a friend. Now you know, there are some pastors, you know, who, you know, are super evangelistic. And yeah, you have, you have some guys who are evangelists, but most people who are converted are won by family members and friends folks what are you doing in the place where God has assigned you where you work where you play are you reminding people about Eternity Are you looking for opportunities to give people the gospel? Or are you just going to stay quiet and waste all the opportunities the Lord is giving you to share his word? Folks, we need to be thinking about eternity. Whether you are saved or whether you are lost, we need to be thinking about eternity. Because you're going to spend eternity in a good place with Christ or a really bad place without him. There's an old hymn. I gotta say, by the way, like the old hymns. A lot of theology in the old hymns. You know, you learn your theology from the old hymns. But one of the old hymns that I noticed they stopped putting in Baptist hymnals in the 1970s, it was a, it was a, a hymn called Almost Persuaded. Anybody remember that one? Few of you. Let me read the words. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded come, Come today, almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. And the last verse goes like this. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost but lost. Now, folks, if you are here today and you know Jesus, that's a wonderful thing. And you need to start thinking even more about what's eternal. You need to be thinking of opportunities to give the gospel to those who don't know him. There's a, there's a little ditty that I'm sure many of you have seen. One day this life will be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. But there's another part that a lot of people aren't aware of. and says, and when I die. How glad I shall be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. But if you don't know him, folks, there's no hope without Jesus. If you don't know him, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. You and I, we don't have tomorrow promised to us. We don't have today promised to us. We don't have the next hour promised to us. I, I remember back in the 70s, there was a, there was uh, this, this Russian jet fighter pilot was was flying it, and the plane just it went out of control. The pilot had to eject, and when he did, the plane somehow righted itself. It flew for hundreds of miles till it ran out of fuel. And it came crashing into this guy's house, killing him as he was watching television. You could be here one moment and gone the next. Folks, if you don't know Jesus Christ, now is the day Salvation. Now we're about to well to the end of the lesson. But you know, we've got a number of people that you can talk to. We've got our our, our wonderful pastor. We've got we've got great elders here and deacons. God has blessed this church immensely, and we're more than willing to talk if you don't know Jesus Christ today. Let's pray, Lord we thank you for the truth of your word lord uh, we pray that people will seek you we pray that lord that we will go out to the highways and the hedges to reach those who don't know you and we pray that lord that if anyone here doesn't know you that they would that they would seek that That you would speak to them today. You would change their hearts today. That they would respond today. Lord, guide us. We sing Jesus' name we pray. Amen.